This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're telling a Cinderella story from Chinese folklore, and you'll see how cow vomit can help you stay organized, and just how many seconds you should wait before proposing marriage to a stranger. Then, on the Creature of the Week, we'll meet a creature who will sneak into your house at night, shave your beard, and give your children dreadlocks. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 42, You Only Live Thrice. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins, like today's story. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. The Cinderella story is a well-known one. A girl is stuck with a cruel and abusive stepmother. She's not allowed to go to the ball, and so help comes in the form of supernatural aid for her to go to the ball, lose a shoe, and find love in the form of a prince. You know the story. There are a lot of variations on the story, though. Today, I'm going to be telling some Chinese variations. In fact, the story of Yi Qian might be the earliest written version of the Cinderella story, predating written Western versions by 1,000 years. There's no telling how much the story influenced the Western versions, but as you'll see, there are some very clear parallels. That will be the much shorter second story I'll tell today. The first story will be yet another Chinese variation of Cinderella. I haven't been able to date this one reliably, but a lot of elements seem very Middle Ages to me. It's the story of beauty and pockface. There was a beautiful yet persecuted young woman. A rich merchant had married when he was younger, had a daughter, and then tragically lost his wife. He called this first daughter Beauty, and right off the bat, the name Beauty is fairly common in folklore, so you should not think of this in relation to the Beauty and the Beast story. Beauty had a happy childhood, but like so many young women in folklore, her world changed when her father remarried, and she found herself at the mercy of her new stepmother. Her stepmother, as you no doubt know, brought a daughter from a previous marriage. If you thought the wonderful, pleasant girl named Beauty was a bit on the nose, well, the stepsister's name was Pockface, because she was Pockfaced. Of course, she was unbearable and spoiled. Beauty labored under the stepmother's cruelty, and she didn't have a single friend in the house, her father being conspicuously absent, as they all are in the Cinderella stories. But then a friend came in the form of a yellow cow. Yes, Beauty's mother came back as a talking yellow cow who walked up to the house one day and just started living in the yard. She found home in the barn, and she didn't talk to anyone but Vasilisa, I mean Beauty. It's a real thing in the story, and I won't try to explain it away with some half-baked fight club explanation. But every day when Beauty had to do some demeaning and dirty tasks, she would go out and talk to her mother in the form of a yellow cow, and her mother would comfort her. One day, while covered in rags and dirt, she noticed her stepmother and Pockface were going to the theater. Beauty was surprised that, despite their regular abuse and neglect, she wasn't invited. She asked if she could go. The stepmother scoffed, but Beauty wouldn't let up. The stepmother told the girl that if she sorted the hemp in the stepmother's room, she could go the next day. They left for the theater. Beauty worked for hours. No turtle-style bathroom breaks or anything, and it seemed like the task was impossible. She was only halfway there by the time she thought they might be home. 
she collapsed in tears and went to see her mother, the yellow cow. The mother calmly told Beauty to bring the rest of the hemp to her. Beauty gathered piles of it and laid it before the cow, who ate it. Beauty was about to say something when the cow began throwing up in perfect, sordid, slimy lines. Beauty hugged her mother and took the hemp inside. Beauty joyfully presented it to her stepmother, asking her to please ignore the copious amounts of cow spit and to let Beauty know when they would be ready to go to the theater the next day. The stepmother was angry and told Beauty that there would be one more task. She would need to sort the sesame seeds from beans, piles of them. Beauty protested that wasn't the deal. The stepmother said that she's altering the deal and Beauty should pray that she doesn't alter it further. Picking beans one by one until her eyes hurt, Beauty knew that she wouldn't complete this task in time either. She went to her mother, the cow, who actually called her daughter a stupid girl. Beauty just needed to use a fan to sort the sesame seeds and beans. She did, and the stepmother was once again angry. But she agreed to let Beauty go to the theater tomorrow. I can imagine Beauty was happy. After a rocky start consisting of continual abuse and neglect, it looked like things were finally coming around with her stepmother. Maybe this would be the day that everything changed. The stepmother talked to her sweetly, like she did with Pockface, calling Beauty daughter, and asked when she became so clever. Beauty replied that, oh, it wasn't her. It was her mother, her real mother. And the stepmother listened, as Beauty explained that her biological mother had come back as the talking yellow cow. The next evening, Beauty was grinning from ear to ear. She was going to the theater, and maybe she would meet someone special. The possibilities were endless, now that she could get out of these rags and go into the world. Also, the cook was making something amazing. The smell wafted through the house. Beauty went to eat, and her stepmother greeted her warmly. She told Beauty to take a seat next to Pockface for dinner. It was a very special dinner to commemorate Beauty being able to leave the house. Beauty noticed that even Pockface was nice to her. This was amazing. The servant laid the meal before her. As Beauty was looking at the delicious steak, a thought came to her mind. She looked at her stepmother with a chill. Where did this beef come from? When she saw the sly, cruel smile on the woman's face, she knew the answer. Last night, just after Beauty had told the stepmother the secret of her mother, the yellow cow, Beauty hugged the woman and went to bed. The stepmother took a long knife and went to the barn where the cow was tied up in her stall. The yellow cow saw the stepmother approach with the knife. She strained and snapped the rope, but there was no place to go in the stall. The sad, scared bellows failed to wake the sleeping household, and Beauty's mother died again, this time by the hand of the woman who had married her husband. Beauty ran to the stall, but found it empty, with blood still on some of the hay. She weeped and vomited, and laid there hugging the straw. When she finally came back inside, she saw that the stepmother and Pockface had left hours ago for the theater, breaking their promise yet again. Beauty began breathing faster and faster, her heart beating wildly. Her monster of a stepmother had killed the cow, the only creature Beauty could trust. Beauty punched a vase, and though it didn't really help, it felt good. 
she found more of the stepmother's things to break in the house, screaming and stomping, until there was nothing left. Nothing except an earthenware pot on the stove. Beanie rushed to it and smashed it too, and she was blown back into the room by a loud pop and a blinding light. Struggling to her feet on top of many, many broken things, Beauty was confused. In the place of where she had slammed the pot on the ground was a tall, white stallion. Draped over the stallion was a magnificent white dress. Beautiful embroidered shoes were resting on its back. She then saw a reason for the odd items. In the earthenware pot had been the bones of the yellow cow. Beauty choked back tears. They had been the final gifts of her mother, who had already given her so much. It was profoundly sad, but now she could go to the theater. Her biological mother had fulfilled the promise her stepmother had lied about over and over again. As she cleaned up, got dressed, and got on the road to the theater, things were looking a bit better for Beauty. As she rode along, her beautiful embroidered shoe dropped off of her into a ditch. She couldn't dismount easily, but didn't want to leave it there. Then she saw a man approaching on the road in the haze of twilight. She cried out to him. Hey, help me out with my shoe, she said. I dropped it in a ditch. Oh, you're a fishmonger. Okay, well, please pick it up and be quick about it. I don't want it smelling like fish. The fishmonger stroked his beard, looked her up and down in her beautiful dress atop her expensive horse. He would be happy to pick it out of the ditch. If she would marry him... She cocked her head. Seriously, he nodded, yes. She said, Picking up a shoe for my hand in marriage, that's not at all fair. No, hard no, she said. Also, you stink like a fish. The fishmonger shrugged and told her she could get her own shoe if she didn't want to pay the very fair price of marriage forever to him. And he left. As she sat on the horse, still looking at her shoe and no doubt shocked by the nerve of such a smelly little man, Another man came by, and he was an oil merchant. She asked him to get the shoe, and was a little less surprised when he, too, asked for her hand in marriage. I know we've seen some people get married after a pretty short time, but only after a few seconds in exchange for picking a shoe out of a ditch is probably the lowest standard for a proposal that we've seen so far. She refused him because he was a greasy oil merchant. The next person to come by was a scholar and she asked him if he would get her shoe. He, too, asked her to marry him. She looked him over. A smart, good-looking guy? I mean, that had been part of the reason she was going to the theater in the first place, to meet someone like him. She said, sure. He grabbed her shoe and hopped on her horse, and they rode to his house where they were married that very night. Three days later, Beauty and her new husband returned home to collect her things and tell her family that, you know, she was married now and didn't live there anymore. Also, she wasn't sorry about the stuff she broke. Maybe don't kill her cow mom next time. The stepmother and Pockface were nice to Beauty. Really nice to Beauty. They met her husband and showered her with praise and love. The husband said that they had to go that night, but the stepmother and stepsister begged them to stay. Beauty said that she could stay just a couple more nights and be home soon. The husband gave Beauty a kiss and left for home. And it wasn't like last time. 
where they just pretended to be nice. They were wonderful. They treated her like family. And all it took was breaking all their stuff and trying to leave them forever to get it to be like this. The next day, even before breakfast, Pockface was shaking Beauty awake. She had to come see this. It was incredible. It was something in the well that had formed just after their mother had killed the strange yellow cow. Beauty gasped. Maybe her mother, her biological mother, had been reincarnated after the cow. Maybe Beauty would get to see her again. Beauty followed Pockface with excitement. She looked into the wide, deep well. You really have to look down there. There's this large, beautiful orange fish, Pockface said. Beauty strained over the edge of the well, looking down into the darkness. She felt like she could see the water, but she didn't see the fish. Behind Beauty, Pockface's face had changed from the excited sister to the angry, bitter, jealous woman Beauty had known for years. Pockface went to the ground, and in one motion, she grabbed Beauty's ankles and flipped her over the edge of the well. Beauty let out a quick scream as she tumbled down the well, but that was cut short when her head dashed against the sharp rocks on the wall. She immediately lost consciousness and splashed down. She might have survived, too, if she hadn't landed face down in the water. In minutes, Beauty drowned. The girl who only wanted to be accepted by her new family had died because she trusted them. Pockface didn't even wait to see Beauty die, though. As soon as the girl was down the well, she looked around. No one had seen. She covered the well and walked calmly back into the house. The mother praised Pockface and they lied to the father and told him that Beauty had left early in the morning for her new husband's house. The father shrugged and continued being as helpful as any father is in any Cinderella story. Ten days later, they began to get letters from the husband, who was starting to get concerned about his new wife. Did she leave? Had she been waylaid on the road? Then, the evil stepmother had an idea. She began the letter back to the scholar, writing that Beauty had come down with a sudden case of smallpox. They were starting to get it under control, but it slightly... The mother looked at Pockface and crossed out the word slightly and replaced it with horrifically. The disease had horrifically disfigured Beauty's face. Beauty would be along in a couple of months when everything had stabilized. Two months later, the husband met the woman he thought was Beauty at the gate and recoiled in horror. Choking back vomit, he told her that she looked like a monster. There was no way that this was the woman that he married. I was ill with smallpox, she said. Who do you think I am if not Beauty? I don't know, maybe her stepsister I also met two months ago? The husband didn't say, but really should have. I mean, he would have met her too. Anyway, Pockface began throwing out accusations that just because she wasn't beauty, I mean, beautiful anymore, that he was going to disown her. She said she would die, she would die. He asked her forgiveness, but still had some pretty strong doubts. Like her mother before her, beauty had been transformed into an animal after death. She turned into a sparrow, and as soon as she realized what had happened, she flew to her husband's house. There, one morning, she saw Pockface combing her hair in the mirror. The sparrow, Beauty, said to Pockface, Comb once, peep. Comb twice, peep. Comb thrice, peep. Up the spine of Pockface. 
nearly completely unfazed that her sister that she had murdered had come back from beyond the grave to taunt her in the form of a sparrow, Pockface returned the very unoriginal lines of comb once, comb twice, comb thrice, up the spine of beauty. This happened day in, day out for about a week. One person who was intrigued by this odd daily rap battle was the husband who, when walking by Pockface's door, heard her talking to a sparrow and mentioning beauty. He waited until Pockface was away from the window and then ran outside. Hey, so I heard your conversation. Are you my wife? The scholar asked the sparrow. He really did not wish to be married to Pockface in that he was asking a sparrow if she was secretly his wife. He told her to call three times if she was really beauty and the husband would bring her a golden cage and keep her as a pet. I feel like there's some pretty profound subtext here, but I'm just going to keep going. The bird called three times instead of talking, which we know she can kind of do, and the husband brought the cage. Pockface was annoyed that her husband had a new pet that he insisted was his real wife that had been reincarnated. One day, when the husband was out, Pockface walked into his room and found the gold cage, Beauty the Bird, like her mother before her, only had so many places to flee in the cage. Minutes later, Pockface tossed the lifeless body of the bird out the window, and it thudded to rest in the garden. Pockface was sure, now, that Beauty was finally gone. Weeks later, Pockface and her husband were eating bamboo leaves when Pockface doubled over in pain. It was her ulcer again. Not only that, but her tongue and the inside of her mouth was spotted with painful canker sores. She looked down at the leaves. Wait, where did these come from? She asked her husband. He said, the garden, where else? That night, Pockface took a machete and hacked at the bamboo shoots that had sprung up where Pockface had thrown the body of the bird. Sweaty and more than a little crazed, Pockface walked back inside, confident that beauty was finally gone. A few days later, she laid down in bed and thought she was laying down on a sheet of thousands of needles. She jumped to her feet and just saw that it was a normal bed. She asked what was wrong with it, but the husband was nearly asleep. The bed was super comfortable to him. He said that she didn't like it. Oh, bummer. He had just made it. This is new? Pockface asked. Wait, made from what? The husband told her that it was the bamboo she left lying in the garden the other day. I mean, it was perfectly good bamboo. I can imagine Pockface dropping to her knees and doing the Captain Kirk con scream, cursing Beauty. Pockface's ulcer had just gotten better, but Beauty was still exacting her revenge. Pockface slept in a different bed that night. The next day, Pockface had Beauty the bed dragged out to the curb. Looking at the mattress set out there, she was confident that the last remnants of beauty were gone. It was finally over. Little known fact, medieval China did not have Craigslist, but there were still people in the market for a free used mattress. The scholar's neighbor, to be exact, was one such person. She was an elderly woman, living alone. Seeing as there also weren't super great mattress companies that deliver them to your door and sometimes sponsor podcasts, the neighbor made sure that no one was looking and dragged the mattress inside. The neighbor slept well that night, and the next day she went to work. Her job was selling money bags. She came home at dusk, exhausted, and found a full dinner already cooked for her, 
as anyone who lives alone would do if they came home and found a full meal ready for them. She sat down and ate it without question. The next night after work, she came home to find a meal fully prepared. This went on for a week before she started to get a little curious. I mean, it seems crazy, but I've lived alone and the worst thing is coming home and having to get dinner started from nothing when you're already super hungry. Someone was making a nice dinner every night that apparently wasn't poisoned and they washed the dishes and disappeared before she got home. As far as home intruders go, this one was pretty great. Eventually, the neighbor's curiosity got the better of her though and she decided to come home from work early and saw a ghastly dark specter standing at her stove preparing rice. The neighbor breathed a sigh of relief. Her home was just haunted. And I kind of understand this. The ghost, whoever she was, obviously didn't mean the neighbor harm or else she would have done it by now. She meant the neighbor the exact opposite of harm, free food and a comfortable bed. Later that evening, the neighbor sat across the table from this grim specter from the underworld and she was casually sipping tea the ghost had made while the spirit explained everything. It was Beauty, who was now able to take a spirit form. And she told the woman all about the neighbors and the super murderous pock face. The neighbor asked how she could help, and Beauty knew just how she could return to life. Beauty said that to return to her human form, she just needed four things. A rice bowl as a head, sticks as arms, an old dish towel as entrails, and fire hooks as feet. The neighbor rushed around her house and found all of those things. She put the rice bowl on Beauty's ghost head first. Then the stick snapped into place on her arms. Then she wound up a towel until it resembled human entrails and placed them on ghost Beauty's torso. Then, finally, she set the hooks as feet. As soon as the second hook was in place, everything but the rice bowl crashed to the ground and a beautiful young woman stood before her once and future neighbor with a rice bowl on her head. They both jumped up and down in excitement. It worked. Beauty was back in the world of the living. Real quickly, what? If you don't get it, neither do I. Apparently, all it takes to bring a ghost back to life is a rice bowl, towel, sticks, and fire hooks. I've done some research on this, and I can't seem to find anything. If this makes a lot of sense to you, Please let me know, and I'd be happy to share it with everyone. Moving on, Beauty said she had a plan. She knew the neighbors sold bags. She knew a lot about the neighbor, actually. She had been hanging out around her house for a week, and was actually her mattress, so you know what, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, she said she knew the neighbor sold bags, and she would need the neighbor to try to sell a very special bag to the scholar. The neighbor smiled a smug smile, she knew a thing or two about selling bags. Don't you worry about that. Cut to the next day, with the neighbor five feet from the scholar's house, yelling as loud as she could in the window that she had a bag for sale. A couple hours passed where the scholar couldn't do any of his scholarly work because of his neighbor trying an exceptionally hard sell right outside. He went outside and said, thanks but no thanks. I don't, wait, wait, where did you get that bag? Beauty had given the neighbor a bag a bag the scholar had given Beauty on their wedding day. The scholar immediately recognized it. The neighbor told the scholar all about Beauty. She wasn't dead, and that she was in the neighbor's house right now, eagerly waiting to see her husband. The neighbor had come with this clever and subtle bag-selling plan because Beauty's sister, who was posing as the man's wife, had a pesky habit of killing Beauty on sight. 
Later that day, he had Pockface leave the house on a contrived premise. Then he sent word to the neighbor to send Beauty over. He was nervous and fidgeted with everything in sight until he took a deep breath when he heard the sound at the door. Then he saw her, his wonderful wife, who he had seen for three days before she disappeared and was replaced by this selfish monster living with him right now. She broke down into tears. From a sparrow, to bamboo shoots, to a mattress, to a ghost person thing, she had clawed her way back from the abyss to be with him. Now, here he was. They embraced. What is this? They heard behind them. In the door, they saw the scarred face of Pockface, who had come home early. You have to answer for beauty, Pockface, the husband said. Pockface gasped. You've got it all wrong, she said. This is a spirit, masquerading as me before I was scarred. You can't be deceived by this, Pockface told the husband. Pockface demanded that Beauty face certain challenges to prove that she was the real wife. The husband said, absolutely not. He had suspected since Pockface came here that she wasn't Beauty. I mean, Pockface looked exactly like Beauty's stepsister. The scholar had been very honest and very vocal about his suspicions. Beauty wouldn't face challenges to prove who she was. And Pockface could get out now. Beauty quieted him down. She said, pleasantly, that of course she would compete to prove she was who she said she was. What did her stepsister have in mind? The first competition was, literally, walking on eggshells. They laid eggs across the floor, and Beauty was made to go first. Beauty walked across the eggs without breaking them, but Pockface ended up with yolk all over her feet. Wiping the egg away, Pockface sneered. Okay, the next competition would be to climb up a ladder of knives. Pockface told Beauty, smiling an evil smile. Beauty looked at her. Was Pockface sure about this? This seems very much like something Pockface couldn't do either. And Beauty just walked on eggs and didn't break them. This doesn't look like it will end well for you, Pockface. But Pockface insisted. She had to prove that this wasn't the real Beauty. The Lancelot story showed that blades make terrible bridges. Well, they also make terrible ladders. Unless you are a thrice reincarnated being, made human by a rice bowl, a towel, sticks, and fire hooks. So, for the rest of us normal humans, voluntarily climbing up a ladder made of knives is an exceptionally bad idea. Pockface came away with deep cuts on her hands and feet, and Beauty climbed to the top of the homemade knife ladder, probably the worst type of ladder, unscathed. As a quick aside, I'm very confused about what these challenges are supposed to prove. Okay, so Pockface wants to prove that beauty is a spirit. Doesn't it make sense that a spirit wouldn't break eggs when she walks on them, or be harmed by mortal weapons? In some ways, Pockface's pain and difficulty demonstrate that she is human. The story really doesn't bear that out, though, and it plays the competition completely straight. Beauty is unharmed by the challenges, and thus, beauty is the true wife. Pockface said that there's just one more thing, and she struggled with her cut hands to get a cauldron on the fire. She filled the cauldron with oil, and about a half an hour of awkward small talk later, it was at a rolling boil. Pockface looked at Beauty and said, Okay, now get in. Beauty found a stepladder, looked confidently at Pockface, and lowered herself down into the oil. 
Five minutes of sitting in a slightly more viscous hot tub were enough proof. Beauty would survive the task. She got up and found a towel. Dripping oil, Beauty said that it was obvious that she was the wife. Now, Pockface should just leave. Pockface said that no, she was the real wife, and she could prove it. She climbed the stepladder and jumped into the boiling pot of oil. It doesn't say this, but I can imagine Beauty and the husband looking at each other, completely dumbfounded. Did, did that just happen? Why did she do that? She had to have known that she would die if she jumped into a vat of boiling oil. Another unanswered question. Why did the stepsister challenge Beauty to a number of things that she herself knew that she could not complete? Especially because she knew that she was in the wrong. It's like watching a team lose, going up to someone and betting that they won, and the loser has to climb a ladder of knives. Regardless, they waited until the oil cooled, and all that was left of Pockface was her bones. Knowing the power of bones, the husband and wife sent them to the evil stepmother. The only servant on duty that day had a fairly severe stutter. And while she was supposed to say, your daughter's flesh, when she presented the box of bones and whatever else they could scrape together from the oil, the mother misheard it as carp flesh. She was a big fan of carp, the fish, so she took the box inside, thinking it was a gift of her favorite meal from her favorite daughter. The mother was confused when she opened the box, now dripping oil, and rooted around inside. This wasn't carp flesh at all. This was a skull and, and femurs and ribs and greasy human remains. The mother put it together. The woman wasn't saying carp, but your daughter. The mother's hand shook, and she screamed in horror at her daughter's remains being shipped to her in a box. Fortunately or unfortunately, she didn't have much time to live with the pain of her daughter's passing. The shock was so great that she died instantly. Like in the Vasilisa story, the husband returned at the end of the day to find not just his wife dead, but the remains of a young woman clutched in her arms and absolutely no explanation for any of it. Welcome home, Dad. Maybe say something about the constant abuse of your biological daughter next time. Back at Beauty and her husband's house, they were excited. Apparently in this town, people could die in your home, and you did not need to answer for that. So they were off scot-free. On a more serious note, I saw this version of Cinderella, or Beauty, as someone searching for a family. Her constant return to the stepmother and stepsister despite their violent rejection of her, and the striving to return to her husband after death had come to an end. She had finally found a family and a life with her new husband, and they were not going to waste it. Since there was no one trying to repeatedly murder her, Beauty and her husband lived happily ever after. there are some pretty significant variations on the classic Cinderella story. As I said at the beginning, there's another Chinese story that's much closer to the famous Charles Perrault version of it. In it, the father was a chieftain who died and the mother came back as a fish. Yichan, the parallel to beauty, moved the fish to a pond where it grew large and, like the cow, talked to the girl. The stepmother, again, is terrible. She stole the girl's rags, tricked the fish into thinking that she was Yichan and stabbed the fish to death. Like the cow in today's story, she prepared the fish for dinner, and Yichan saved the bones from the dung pit. When it was time to go to the New Year's festival, the girl's wish for a dress and shoes were granted by the fish's bones, 
At the festival, everyone was captivated by the girl's beauty, but she left the slipper behind in her haste for fear her stepmother would find her. The tiny, tiny slipper was found by a merchant and sold to a king who really wanted to find the girl from the festival and someone with such tiny feet. He went around and there isn't any toe cutting like in the grim version, but Yi Chum was eventually found. When he placed the shoe on her foot, she was clothed in an instant in a dress from the festival and they were happily married. The stepmother and stepsister were never allowed to visit her and they were forced to live in a cave until one day falling fiery rocks crushed them to death. As I said, the story of Yi Chun is roughly 1,000 years older than any European version. I had a hard time finding any reliable, full versions of the original story and instead had to rely on different retellings for that short summary. I was able to find a full version of Beauty and Pockface though. It was weird and fantastic. It's, admittedly, very different from later Western versions. There really isn't a prince and the magical shoe being lost, so much as two kind of sketchy guys and a nice scholar. And in the modern versions, it's a fairy godmother or a dove or a tree that helps her, and not a yellow cow, and a fairly exhausting cycle of murder and reincarnation. Next week, it's back to Slavic folklore, where we'll meet a super knight and watch him battle the mysterious nightingale robber. Also, we'll catch back up with our favorite child-eating, kitchen-item-riding witch, Baba Yaga. And we'll meet her sister, who's also named Baba Yaga. I want to say thanks to Jim Jamboree, Marned P, Mina in England, Mezza. I hope this gets read out. Well, it only took seven months, but it did. Author SAT, Solway84, Flickuspicus, Raz, Proud to Bash Rimpier, Rhino79C, Surez Brilliant, Blue Fairy 19, Steve OC, Fast123456, Leah Luna, Bite Club, Yoga Noob, Lily May 777, James VDM, The Hebridean, RS Green, and Alofont for the reviews on iTunes. It's great to hear from you, and I really appreciate the feedback. If you'd like to leave a review, you can find the show there at itunes.mythpodcast.com. Also, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of nearly 1,000 banana stickers, you can get extra episodes, ad-free versions of this show, and source pack ebooks that won't eventually lead to a toddler ruining a wall with way, way too many banana stickers. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info. The creature this week is the Luton from French folklore. It comes from Normandy, and it's something akin to a house spirit. House spirits, generally, well, hang around your house and are usually helpful, though they can do medium to severe mischief if mistreated, ignored, or if they just feel like it. The Luton can take many forms, like a horse that will give you magical rides, a tiny creature that gives your children dreadlocks, or a well-respected man about town. His favorite form is a totally white cat, and if it's in his human-ish form, and he's wearing a red hat with two feathers, then he can become invisible. There's a Canadian version from Quebec, and they apparently dislike beards, and will randomly, yet carefully, shave people in the night. They'll also fill up shoes with pebbles, and blunt your knives, and, like I said, they'll climb through your child's hair at night, giving them elf locks, which are like dreadlocks. If you'd like to keep your beard, or, you know, don't want tiny men crawling through your child's hair, then there are ways to keep them out, to keep your house Luton-free, I'll wait for you to stop cringing, just spill salt everywhere. Like a lot of mythological creatures, they dislike salt, 
and they will go out of their way to avoid it. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.